Welcome to another episode of My Zen Pet, the first podcast with music for pets, specifically music for pet stress. Hi, I'm Lisa Spector, your pet calming maestro. My Juilliard degree has gone to the dogs and I couldn't be more thrilled. This is one of our more rare, longer episodes. Instead of featuring more music that I record for Canine Anxiety, we're bringing in a guest expert that we recently had in the Dog Gone Calm Club. If you and your pup or dogs would like to hear more music, you can find Dog on Calm Volume 1 on streaming platforms. Sometimes you might have to ask Alexa for my Zen pet. I want to give you a taste of one of our recent guest experts. She was so great. And I'll tell you about her in a second. But I also want to share that we are opening the doors next week. I haven't opened them to new members in a while because we've been changing some things around and improving them in the Dog Gone Calm Club, where anxious dogs and their people de-stress with the My Zen Pet music system. If you'd like to join that waitlist and be the first to know when the doors open next week, you can do that at myzenpet.com forward slash waitlist. It is such a great group of dog lovers, educated dog lovers, really wanting to improve the lives of their dogs, wanting to understand them better and ensure they live a longer, happier life. That is what we do in the Dog Gone Calm Club. And there are different topics by member request. So this month's topic was fearful barking. And I brought in Corinne Gearhart, who is known as the Doodle Pro, because she is a Karen Pryor certified trainer, a fear-free certified trainer, but she also has a grooming business where her grooming is exclusively for doodles, and she has a boarding business where it's exclusively for, I want to say, doodles. She is so educated about so many topics, but if you know any doodles, you know that barking can sometimes be an issue, and barking, particularly fearful barking, can be an issue with many dogs. So I learned a ton by talking to Corinne, and I'm doing something different for you, for our podcast listeners. I not only brought in Corinne to talk about fearful barking, but this time you actually get to hear the questions that a few of the members asked that they are going through with their own dogs. One has a puppy, and just a variety of situations. And I will tell you, if you were to hire Corinne, for a consultation, it would cost you a few hundred dollars. So you're getting this for free, and it's one of the features in the membership where the members actually get to ask their questions directly. So without further ado, here is Corinne Gerhardt, and I also share this was in the middle of a thunderstorm. She's out of Denver, Colorado, did 
our best to edit those out. So hopefully you won't hear any pauses, but she was a real trooper with hanging in there with Zoom cutting in and out. But I don't think you'll hear this in this podcast episode. So here we go. Fearful Barking with Corinne Gearhart. This is the Dog Gone Calm Club. It's September and we have our monthly guest expert. I'm so honored to have Corinne Gearhart, known as the Doodle Pro, but she's also got a lot of initials after her name. She's Fear Free certified. She's Karen Pryor certified. She has other certifications. She has run Doodle exclusive boarding, but also fur free boarding. I'll have her tell you a little bit about that. And then she applies her wonderful training skills. And we've been having lots of wonderful conversations. I was honored to just be interviewed for her brand new podcast, the Doodle Pro podcast, and that will be featured at the end of the month. And I am just so honored to have you here, Corinne, talking about fearful barking. And I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about general barking as well. So thank you so much. Anything I missed about your credentials? In that? Lisa mentioned the Doodle Pro podcast, and I'm thrilled to have just interviewed Lisa and her expertise and talking about your guys' shared passion of using music to help calm your dogs. So she's going to be appearing in an upcoming podcast and of course was an amazing guest. And I actually am allergic to dogs. Uh, No wonder you started this specialty. Oh my God. I didn't know that. So I am obsessed. I always have been obsessed. My mom was really allergic. I would write to Santa every year. Please, I'll just keep the dog in my room. My mom won't smell it. And then we discovered poodles. As an adult, I discovered poodles and poodle mixes. And I do great. So there's a lot of other people who have discovered those mixes in addition to Havanese or Portuguese water dogs, etc. And their kids or they are allergic. And if they sent them to daycare or boarding at a facility, they came home covered in husky and lab hair. And they'd always have to throw them in the bath, which if you have a poodle mix, bathing them is a huge three-hour ordeal because you got to use a high-velocity dryer to blow out the coat so it doesn't get matted and hurt their skin and all of that. We trademarked it, the shed-free stay. So in my home, I always have various doodles while their parents are working or traveling. And I get to practice force-free and positive reinforcement methods in my training and work with them while they're with me. I had a background in special ed and my lens of working with empathy and compassion with kids that sometimes I can't verbally communicate has really translated nicely into working with our dogs. And I forgot the first thing I always ask, I know you always have a lot of dogs in your house, so I never know which ones are yours, but who is in your pet household? My dog's name is Nestle, and you can hear my voice soften as I say, I just, he's a black Cavapoo, so King Charles Cavalier Poodle Mix. Is that considered... I don't know enough to ask this, but this is a naive question. So is Nestle considered a doodle or is it a doodle mix? Yes. Okay. So doodles in essence are a poodle mixed with another breed. So they might end. Okay. Got it. Yeah. So they might end with a poo or a oodle. Got it. And some other nations call them oodles. But as long as they're mixed, a bijan mixed with a poodle is called a poujon. 
but that's still a dude. Learns new every day. I thought it was a poodle. Always looks mixed with a lamb or a golden or I don't know. Yeah. Oh, oh, who knew? Okay. Great. I love watching Pamela here playing tug while trying with, to with her pop, attention with her very active puppy Mitzi. I love it. <laughs> She's gonna learn a lot because I think Mitzi's a barker, but we'll find out more okay. about that one. So we'll do the same thing where the members can ask questions at the end. Wonderful. So let's talk just about general barking at first. I have dog sat a doodle who was a very skilled demand barker because he got whatever he wanted from his people when he barked. And when I dog sat, he got nothing he wanted when yes. he barked. And he learned so fast with me that when he barked, he did not get what he wanted. He got it when he was quiet. I'm sure he went back to his people and it all switched in, I'm, I'm sure. So let's talk about the different kinds of barking. What's hard, so you mentioned one that's the exception. With a lot of behaviors, if we find it unpleasant or unwanted, by not feeding it, either by attention or treats or anything, it can be extinguished because it's not being reinforced. But barking is inherently rewarding never thought about that barking being inherently rewarding. It is. So if you have a dog who every time they see the squirrel outside or the mailman get close and they're barking and you ignore it, if it was a different behavior, that might work. But it's still a release and rewarding for them on its own. So if you can find the underlying reason that's causing it first... Like you identified that already, that there was a demand. So for that dog, the barking wasn't rewarding in itself. It was seeking something from you. And so that ignoring and waiting to reward a different behavior worked. But a lot of people say, my dog goes crazy anytime they hear a noise outside. And I, I don't even hear anything, but they act like something is going on. That sounds like anxiety. So anxiety is always feeling like you need to be on alert for what could go wrong or what could be on the other side of that wall. So they feel like they need to patrol and they're not able to fully rest. So fear, if it were to be fear-based instead, that would look like the moment they see the thing, that could be when you're on walks and they see somebody in a funny hat or in a wheelchair or on a bike, things they're not familiar with, that then they start barking. So that's when they see the object. Does right. that make sense? So there's a little bit, if I'm understanding this, there's a little bit of a distinction between fear barking and anxiety barking. Mm -hmm. So anxiety barking, like we have a sighthound who lives here and there's lots of rabbits. And oh my yeah. goodness, it's, she'll be like, we had a heat spell and it was like 100 degrees and she'll be like, oh, I'm just dying, it's so hot. And then a squirrel or a rabbit. Yes. Comes by. Actually, I meant to say we have rabbits too, but mostly like hundreds of squirrels, maybe. Oh, gosh. So many. And she'll see a squirrel and she'll like, I just, the heat's gone. She's out for it. So that's her nature. She's a sight hound. Is it anxiety? Excitement? Is it, I always thought of it as excitement barking. So yeah. for the hound, that might be something different of trying to get the prey out. So that might be more of like the hunting instinct mechanism. Yeah. But a, a common mistake people make when they have a dog that's like re reactive on a leash that's barking, they think my dog is really overly friendly and wants to play. Usually barking 
is there a way to get the other item or person or object to go away? And it usually works. Right. Yeah. If your dog's going nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Even in the backyard, if they're patrolling the fence line and there's a sidewalk near it or something, the other person always ends up going away. The mailman leaves to your dog. It worked. Oh my goodness. Okay. So what do you do? Counter conditioning, helping them have a different emotional response to whatever that is, is helpful after you've done some management. I have a lovely neighbor who has a glass storm door and she likes the natural light to come in, but her dog practices every day staring out that window and just alert barking every time he sees anything. What gets practice gets perfected. And so that is his daily routine. So for her, management might be if she really likes that natural light to get a windowed film which they have on Amazon that just filters the view just from his, he's a little Frenchy, just from his view, her knee down so that he can't be practicing that and doesn't feel like he needs to be watching every leaf fall <laughs> and to let his mom know if there's danger. Which so is really, that's anxiety because that's mm-hmm. like your nervous system, you never get to relax. Yeah. Which could be really difficult for their health or physical health. Boy, I'm already learning a lot. So you're talking about managing the environment. Creating a different emotional response to right. whatever that trigger is. So I worked with that same neighbor He's also scared when he hears knocking. He's not scared of the knocking, but of the fear of what could be on the other side. But by disconnecting that trigger from what he's anxious of, of scary, unknown outside, we just started with a very soft knock on the wall, treat, knock on the wall, treat, knock on the wall, treat. The act of eating is calming for a dog. Plus, they wouldn't be alive if food wasn't rewarding to them. So by picking the most delicious items and then building up slowly to the louder knock and then moving over to the door where you had that association. And it was amazing how quickly he was able to divorce those two. Yeah, because you're changing his emotions. You're changing Mm -hmm. his emotional response of what it actually means when someone knocks on the door. And I love that. That's so great. So what would be another example of what would you do if you, you're walking dog on a leash and they were doing yes. fearful barking? A common technique that is taught by trainers is look at me and to give their attention to their human. That actually is asking more than a lot of dogs that have fear or anxiety can give. So if you imagine that you're really scared of spiders and there's a spider next to you, and your partner says, look at me, I'll give you a slice of your favorite pizza. Not only do you have to handle being near that spider, but then you need to look away from it and turn your back to it while you're scared of it just to get that delicious thing. So we're asking so much of them when we ask for them to go into a sit, to do an obedience behavior, because we want them to change their focus. If we can instead change their emotional response to that thing that they're scared of. And again, treats are golden for this. And you don't want to use just the hard biscuit, the milk bone. This is when you bring out the big guns of the human food, the cheese, the sliced turkey, etc. The moment they see the other dog or whatever it is they're reactive to on a leash on a walk, that's when you're giving them 
the treat. So it's while they're looking at whatever it is they're scared of. Great. Can you talk about that in relation to the little by little, like how, like you're not going to go from zero to hundred with one. No. So getting there gradually. Mm -hmm. And that's just, you would assume with humans that have phobias. Yeah. You, there's increments. So my dog, he's reactive on walks only. So in order to work with him, I have to start with distance. And I do that same exercise where I'm giving him that yumminess only when he sees that other thing he's scared of. And then I create enough distance that he's able to access the training part of his brain. If he's over threshold and really freaked out, we can't do anything. We have to wait until he's able to get to a place where he's not over threshold and able to access that training. So by creating physical distance first, if you know that your dog's scared of kids, going to where there's a park and going where none of those kids are going to approach your dog and just having a seat. Yes, a big distance away. And then that's the easiest thing to change in increments is the amount of distance. And so if you start a little too close, then I imagine you just pull it back. You go further Mm -hmm. away, see where that line is. And in music, we have this term called rubato, which is the give and take of tempo. In Mm -hmm. romantic music, you take a little tempo here and you give it back there. And so it's really the same dog training. If you go a little too far and they're like over threshold, then you just back up a little bit. And the progress is never like this. It's like you get a little bit and a little bit, and then that gets a little higher and a little higher. Yes. Yeah. And you might think, so my dog's two, and I do this for a living. And now we can go on walks like down the street and stuff. But if there's a dog behind a fence and it's a new dog when I don't know that fence, he could still get startled and... It could feel like we're back to square one in that moment, but it definitely is like stairs. Right. And it's probably square one. It just feels like that temporarily in that moment, but then it comes back. You, the, mm-hmm. the stairs get climbed as well. What would be other situations of fearful barking? Uh, so fear, if I'm talking about seeing the object and you're scared of that, it could be if your dog is, say, scared of men or people wearing hats. So dogs, when we come in a big fluffy coat, it looks like our entire shape has changed. They don't really understand if we're carrying a big package or whatever. That's not part of us now. That's not part of our our being. So different things can spook them like that. And what you'll see is your dog retreating. And that's what would look different than the anxiety is if they see the object and are trying to run away. And the barking is just them trying to defend whatever they're scared of to keep it away. So you might get advice of have the man who's visiting, give them a treat. And if that's too much, I imagine you can have the man toss a treat from a distance. Sometimes that's not possible because it's too much. So I imagine, is it okay to have the man that they're scared of gently toss a treat on the ground near them from a distance? Yeah. You don't need the scary person to deliver in any way. And you don't need to demand of your dog to decrease the space that they have. If I were to use that spider example again, if I needed to go up to the spider for him to give me the treat, I might grin and bear it, but I don't feel any better about the spider just because I had my favorite slice of pizza. Good point. It It doesn't change my emotional response. Yeah. 
Because they don't feel safe. Yeah. So by allowing your dog to retreat is great. And then the moment they look at whatever that is they're scared of, you give them the treat. Right. You give them the bone. I get it. I get it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. And just these people on with us now know this, but I'm going to say this because for anyone listening in the future that doesn't know this, when we're talking about dogs, because Corinne has heard this 100, 300 times more than I've heard, and I've heard it a lot. When we're talking about dogs who are fearful of men with glasses, men with beards, men with hats, it's most likely not because they were abused by the man with the glass. It's because as a puppy, they weren't introduced to that wasn't part of their socialization. So just want to be very clear about that. Yes. My husband takes it very personal. He's a big, burly police officer, and he feels rejected. Like, what? I'm going to make you love me with every doodle that comes that had like a single woman or just hadn't been around a guy like that. But just as I mentioned, a dog might bark at a wheelchair. That's not right. because anything happened to them with the wheelchair. Right. Or possibly they haven't been introduced to men in uniforms and your husband, I imagine, comes home in his police uniform. I know I've told this story, I think, just once. So I'm going to repeat it because it's a good story. When I had S- Sanchez, my rest in peace dog, when he, I was raising him to be a guide dog and he didn't make it, but he was an extremely confident dog and really didn't find any fears. But then once he was career changed and I, he probably was only two mm-hmm. and he was my dog. We were walking on the beach and we saw a hand glider and he just went barking at his hand, just barking. Now I raised him. I knew he wasn't abused by a hand. Yeah, he just right, had exactly. never seen a hand glider. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my proof of that situation. But are there other kinds of barking that we've missed? I am peeking at the chat. Oh. Where with Betsy, Bernie, and Rocky. And she said, Rocky, a little barky terrier, seems to bark simply from excitement or play with me. So just as Lisa had that doodle that was demand barking, it's seen by other dogs as neutral to annoying when a dog barks at them. It's like they're demanding them to play as well. So you could do different management things of give them a quick break Or if you see that they're doing the more appropriate invitations, like play bows or like taking the toy and putting it in their face and other more polite ways of inviting, you can then be their playmate for a bit. Because again, what's practice gets perfected. So if they- I love that expression. I'm going to remember what's practice gets perfected. So I will be honest, I'm pretty proud of Gina's barking because here's what she does. She's not a barker, but she does bark sometimes. Yeah. She lets me know if she wants to come in, barks one time. Beautiful. Like one time she gets to come in, it's over. One time. It's, I didn't really train her for that. She just came that way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not responsible, but I just love it. It's just so fun. Uh, so there's good kinds of barking. Barking isn't all bad by any means. It's their way of, I love what you said at the beginning. It's their way of, it's rewarding for them as well. So, I like the expression that birds sing and dogs bark. I love that. So I'm looking at Pamela's question. My puppy, six month old, 
barks at me or my husband, just barks and barks. Now she started biting us as she barks. I'm wondering, so you're hitting like some of the adolescent stuff. I'm wondering for Pamela, is this when kind of the zoomies are happening and the witching hour at night and they've lost all control or is this all of the time? I'm just curious with Pamela. Feel free to unmute an answer too. Yeah. It's at just whenever. It's not Zoomy time. Sometimes yeah. it is, sometimes not. But just there's nothing that's happened beforehand that I can say when this happens, she does this. And at the point where now, before we're, she was barking and I kept trying to just get her to be quiet, I ignored it for the longest time. She was responding to it until she gets overstimulated. Just don't know what to do. And now with the attacking me, my arms. Oh, gosh. How old is she now? She's six months. There's a reason puppies are so cute. (laughs) All right. (laughs) And why adolescent ones are the ones, sadly, that fill shelters because you're in it. Like you're in the tough space right now. And you were doing a beautiful thing using tug as a way for her to be her, right? Yes. For her to be able to channel flirt poles, I really like. And using those with training at the same time, some impulse control of drop, trade for a treat, etc. would be really nice. Flirt poles might be particularly helpful because if she's biting at her arms. It gives you literally some distance. They have them on Amazon, but it's just a big, long PVC pipe with a kind of rubber line and then a toy at the end. Okay. If you need some distance, it's a nice way to burn some energy if it's raining or snowing or inclement weather outside. And then does she eat food out of a bowl? Or yes. what do you so I would ditch the bowl even just for one of the meals? And you can use muffin tins, hide in different boxes, make that some brain work activity for her. Egg, egg cartons too. Cartons, yeah. You know, cardboard. There's tons of puzzle feeders online, but if she can use some of her brain in that way and some hand feeding from you as well, where she only gets it with gentle, that could be great too. I know Pam has struggled with, she's not the most food motivated dog. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have one of those big Kongs that she can, it's not real. It looks like a Kong that she can move and food will come out. And she just, she gives up. She doesn't, she just stops. And I've yes. filled with treats instead of food. It didn't make any difference. They so. call it closing the economy where, so I don't love the like motto of nothing in life is free. That's a little more aversive than I like. Where all of the food is earned and it raises that currency. So right now it's kind of inflation where if I don't go for that Kong, I'm still going to get it out of my bowl and there's plenty to go around. So instead by your hand feeding and then even if it's, is she crate trained? No, I can't. I just have had no luck with it. That's okay. That's a whole different thing. But I was going to say sprinkle the kibble across the crate tray if she was comfortable in a crate. But she might so the Kong wobbler isn't my favorite because it doesn't have like a beginner stage, the difficulty level. 
Okay. They need some real persistence. Yeah. 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 So even a muffin tin can be an idea or just that you're hand feeding her for a bit. Okay. And then when she takes it gently, she gets it. Have you worked on leave it with her? Yes. Okay. Sometimes it works. Sometimes she gets it. The same as sometimes she'll sit when I try to tell her to sit. She's just... (laughs) (laughs) Just as she's losing control a bit in those moments. So I would work with her just on having something that smells really yummy, even though she's not that food motivated in my closed hand. And the moment she turns her nose away, I give her a treat from the other hand, which is really low level ask. I'm not setting something down on the ground and saying, leave it 20 times. I love that. That's a great idea. And you're going to feed from the other hand. So you're not going to feed from the closed one, but by her showing her impulse control with that smelly thing, then she gets something good. When does she get the smelly thing? I would put it behind my back and deliver from the other hand. I wouldn't give from the hand that I have closed. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. But what happens when she just keeps trying to bite the hand that the good treats in? Yeah. So since you have that, yeah, that's really tough since you have the biting going on. So then I would time out and I would do a cancellation cue of too bad. And then I'd remove myself. Okay. But you might split it even lower where, because she does get bitey, where she just softly noses or licks, then you give it to her where it's like a gentle, and then you move up incrementally, just like the piano incrementally to leaving it alone. So now maybe just gentle touch. And when you talk, it just reminds me, it's so much how I teach piano. I have my students have this on the piano all the time. How can I make this easier? It's like, how can you just take one step back and make it easier? And I give them all the ways you can do that. It's so much the same with dog training. Oh, I love it. Yeah, like it's if it's just too much, there's always something else you can do that's easier for your dog. Always. Always. And then you could build up. You're not asking your piano students to stay at that beginner level. Exactly. And then you build up faster. Yes, exactly. You build up faster. So Kirsten, I love your comment that communication escalates. It's a question. Communication escalates to frustration. Do you want to elaborate? Do you want on mic and elaborate on that, Kirsten? Hi. I was just wondering, before you all were talking about it, at that age especially, if she's barking and trying to communicate something and you're not getting it, then she's trying to nip at you, not trying to bite. So I was just curious, and this is, it, it, I think that it's a curious age because they sometimes don't know what they want. I think at that age, is, does she want to go outside? I would explore some different things. Okay. What do you want? Do you want to go outside? Do you want to maybe go outside, throw a ball? Because what you were talking about, there's the zoomies and they have all this energy and they don't understand where this energy is coming from. They just know they have it. And what am I going to do with it? And so, yeah, I was just curious. It's hard to know why post it as a question mark because it's hard to know sometimes without actually exploring some different avenues of what might help 
with this behavior. But I also wholeheartedly agree with everything that you talked about as well. There's just so many, nothing is cut and dry and in a box. There's so many different ways that you can address this. I completely agree, which should give hope of if one thing isn't working, like the Kong wobbler, that you're not out of luck. Since there are so many approaches, then you could try the next one. And I think sometimes, and I think you mentioned this too, sometimes it is a matter of you're thinking at six months old, they're, I don't even know if you'd call it a toddler stage. They're still so young and they get super tired and they, this is maybe when this behavior comes out too, because you think of a a child in a tantrum or something. Mm -hmm. So the crate training would be a really nice thing to learn to start doing with him or her. I'm not sure which one, but yeah. Yeah. And the good ideas. And I think Pam, you took, maybe you sign up for Susan Garrett's crate. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. I did crate games and it worked for a while with her. And now, and then she started refusing to go in. And even though I feed her in there, I have to walk away from the crate before she'll even walk in to go get her food. That might be doing what Lisa said of going back some steps where even if it's, if you can rewind some steps, if she's regressed at all, because there are some fear periods and going in the crate might've meant mom's leaving the house or like whatever associations she might've built. And if you can rewind back to where she doesn't have those nervousness. But I agree. I think the crating could be really worth it just for your like safety and comfort. (laughs) When she, yeah. Just out of curiosity, Pam, when you're tugging, does she release? Does she have a release word? I have not done that with her now. I should have, but I'll do that though. Just enough and get her to stop. Whatever the word is. Yeah. I, because we tug a lot, a ton in the agility world because. There's 300 dogs at a trial, and we want their attention on us. So tugging is not only a stress reliever and a reward, but it's also a way to make sure it's safe. Like our dogs, are, they're focused on us. But it's really important that we decide when the tug game is over, that they have a release word, and then like, good girl, and reward yeah. that for that. And then you could return back to the tug. It doesn't have to be the game's yeah. over. We do it all the time. Yeah. yeah. We stop for a second. I do that all every night. And then get your toy. And yeah, Yeah. oh my God, it's not over yet. Yeah. (laughs) And Kirsten had a great point of what is she trying to communicate with you or what are her needs? And even just this, she, what we're doing now, she knows she doesn't have your attention. And so when she was climbing on you, et cetera, that might've been like trying to get your attention on her. So what you could do is capture the moments where she's doing the thing you like. So it's a bit fuzzy behind you with the Zoom feature, but if it's uh, if she's calmly resting behind you and not calling all over you and stuff. So as she's not doing that, she is calling. No, she's, she's chewing on something behind me and okay. ramming into my back. <laughs> so not now. But if she like started for a moment stretching out or something, you could treat, yes, what Kirsten's saying with teaching settle. And you could even, 
I don't know if this approach is the best for her because she gets pretty frustrated. But you could only deliver pets when she is in like a calm state. But I like the treats more. It's really hard for us not to pet them all the time. It's a lot of self-control. But if you could capture those moments. And then, oh, shoot. I'm trying to remember the name of the doctor, but it's relaxation protocol. Kirsten, do you remember the name of the doctor who did this? Where there's a bunch of YouTube videos where it's a great way to teach settle. And it's tiny increments and that you could build up to. Oh, Dr. Karen Overall. Dr. Karen Overall. I thought I was going to say Overstreet. Relaxation protocol. Right. Right. Yeah, it's very good. It'll say one step back, treat, treat. Two steps back, treat. Right. And then I can listen to the audio as I'm following the routine. Oh, how cool. Betsy, do you have questions about? We have a husky and a little, do- probably a doodle dog next door. And they're yeah. all really good friends. But just going, we've talked in other videos where we've got three levels down. And then a big backyard that opens to open space. So there can always possibly be deer. And there can always be squirrels and rats or what have you. So it's very exciting going into the yard. And if the dog's next door, and of course you've got the husky who likes to howl. Right. We will just have this huge howling match. Basically what I do is let one dog at a time go out. I don't go out if they're barking. I just stand inside the door and they wait for me unless they're deer. That trumps everything. Yeah. Then we have another dog on the other side that they've never met. It's actually just a visiting dog. The daughter comes over and that's more of a, a threatening bark with each other mm-hmm. though. Cause they're not friends. This is exciting. Can we go over there and play type of bark? And then there's that. So basically I just, just the going outside, I've got a bag of treats next to the sliding glass door and I'll throw a bunch on the floor and then Bernie's, he's eating him as fast so he can go outside. (laughs) (laughs) In fact, we've had to barricade part of it because he would run down the first level of steps and bite the big two by four, the four by four that's holding our house up. So we've got all these gnaw bites in that. Oh, wow. So we have something in the way of that. So he never does that anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, his level of, he's seven years old. It's like, are you ever going to settle down? But yeah, just going outside is a very exciting, bark-inducing activity. It sounds like you are able to read his barks beautifully. That you could tell which one is, they call it like eustress, where it's an excitement versus distress with the other one. So it's wonderful you're able to read Mm -hmm. that. There is this new book called Rocket Reek on the Doodle Pro podcast this week and last week. It was such a good interview. I had to split it in half. I couldn't cut her short. And she really goes through some rules of recall that it sounds like you follow beautifully. But if you were able to call him back on a dime... Even if his other dog was out there with him, your other family dog, that would be probably a real relief. He does come back, but he's still just jazzed up. For a while, I was having him on a sit stay before going out, but then you could just tell it was, he was just gathering it all to make it even more exciting to go out. 
So now I let him out, but then I don't come out until he's quiet. And then I'll step out the door and he'll bark and I'll go back in. Anyway, we're working on it. (laughs) It sounds like you made a lot of progress since the last time. I think I have. I think I have. Yeah, Mm -hmm. good for you. And the foraging of find it, so tossing even some kibble into the yard, that foraging like is so calming. And so actually sometimes if I happen to have a tennis ball in the basement, which we've got them all over, if I throw a tennis ball, he'll just go after it without the barking. Nice. So I didn't actually think of that as being a routine thing I could do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Especially if he brings it back to you. Oh yeah. Anything's about me throw it again. There you go. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. And it sounds like that's even higher value. Than yes, the barking he is, on the other he side is, of the fence. He's got a little OCD with the ball. Yeah. <laughs> but he's good. He, if another dog is going to get there before he does, he is a beta dog. So he'll step back and he's, he's a gentleman with it, but he's OCD still. Yes. Oh, he sounds wonderful. Would you like to see him? He just got up. Yes. Yeah. Bernie, oh, Bernie. Beautiful dog. Bernie, Bernie. Oh. Yeah. oh, now he's going after the cats. The other exciting thing in this house, and that's my little terrier boy. Watch a sweetie. <laughs> I can share just one more note about barking. If you yeah. guys do a lot of Zoom calls or you just feel at wit's end and you talk to someone about it, somebody might suggest shaking cans with coins, spray bottles. No one I've ever invited on his. his oh. <laughs> Good. I'm thinking family, well-meaning neighbors. Bark collars are often one of the first things that people recommend. And I see everybody's face that they would never. Just to reinforce why it's so wonderful that you're not going that direction. You're only suppressing the behavior, not the fear. And then there's sudden discomfort at the least or pain, usually. And that creates new phobias. So we'll find dogs that will bark at the window and then the collar goes off and now they have a phobia of curtains because the curtain was right next to them when they got that shock and now curtains all over the house are scary so now we're working on the fear of what was outside and the curtains so kudos for not going down those roads because it doesn't help anything thank you for bringing that so this is a little bit of a different topic but i am assuming it's the same for invisible fences. They can yeah. so you're oh. around whatever is there. And what's so hard is invisible fences don't keep other animals out. So the bunny that runs into where your dog is or the squirrel or whatever. And if a dog is over threshold with their adrenaline, they don't feel pain at the same level. So they can push through, like a, a dog can still bark with a bark collar, even though it's zapping them because they don't feel at the same level. So they could push through the pain and discomfort going over that electric line of the invisible fence. And then if they want to come back home, their adrenaline is down and they're getting shocked every time they come home. It doesn't keep them safe. It doesn't keep all the things that would make them want to chase out. And then the difficulty of getting your dog back, like safe and sound. Is- I know that's not your topic, but it was relevant to, to what you yes. said. It was yes. relevant to what you said. Before we close, and I can tell you where you find Corinne online, including her wonderful new podcast. Let me ask one question about barking. Yeah. Um, separation anxiety barking. 
<laughs> like eight. I know. So that's what this was. No. <laughs> He's no longer alive, but that's what he used to do. I didn't know. So I lived in a canyon, so I didn't have yeah. any except my landlord, which was, she was quite a distance away. Five years later or something, she said, yeah. you know, he barks the whole time you're gone. I'm like, oh, why didn't you tell me? I had no idea. I had, no, she said, well, I just didn't want you to worry about him. I was like, five years later. <laughs> I had no idea because I didn't have neighbors. So I didn't know. And I was like, oh my God. I had no idea. The anxiety part is crucial to even the term, the name for it. Yeah. So a lot of people, they're really cheap now on Amazon where you can download. Yes, exactly. Furbo cameras. There's really cheap. You could get a $25 camera and stream it into your phone now. Through the days that they didn't exist. Yeah. Yes. So if you were to have a dog like that, the term is certified separation anxiety trainer, CSAT. And they do all of their work virtually because it's really just telling you today and they can watch the camera if you give them access or you just report what you're seeing and they say today we're going to do a five minute a 30 second because you're if a dog's falling all over the house and they're howling or barking when you're gone their whole life it feels like the end of the world when you're gone and they're patrolling for signs that the end of the world's coming so they're looking for you picking up your keys looking for you to get your shoes on because that's a sign the end of the world's coming that's a very specific protocol. That's not my specialty, but I'd admire right. of divorcing those departure cues. So we had Ness Jones, who's a oh great separation anxiety specialist from Australia. She was one of our first dog on Com Club guest experts, and she yeah. has a program called Door Desensitization. I'm actually nice. She's interviewing me next week. She's fabulous, but that's I'm telling the members because that's in your hub. So that's in the whole recording of that if that is an issue. So Corinne, where are all the places we can find you, follow you? I know you're so well known in the doodle world, but so much of your advice really applies to other dogs too. Yeah. So I hear that a lot, even in my membership, which is called the Doodle Pro Society. I have half of the dogs are not doodle mixes because yeah, they might bark a little extra or be extra jumpy, but A lot of dog issues are the same, except for the grooming side. So I mentioned the recall. I think your members would benefit the most from my podcast, the Doodle Pro Podcast. Everyone is humane, force-free, fear-free based. So it's all the same positive reinforcement kind of training. So you don't have to feel like you need to decipher, does this fit my ethos? So the Doodle Pro Podcast, two episodes ago, we had a behavioral vet from Iceland who came on just talking about dogs barking for an hour. So the title of that episode is how to stop your dog from barking, but she really breaks down more how to tell the difference between the fear and anxiety piece. So if you want to dig in more, you're welcome to listen to that. And then if you're on social media on Facebook or Instagram and want to see behind the scenes of my work with our dog and our guest dogs, it's the doodle pro. So at Instagram or Facebook. And you have a fabulous Instagram. You have so many great videos on Instagram. Lisa's going to be on there. (laughs) (laughs) Getting lots of great ideas. What? I don't want to keep you over it, but I just thought of one other barking question. Yeah. I know Ian Dunbar teaches the concept of teaching your dog to bark Mm -hmm. on cue. So that you have, so they're rewarded for their barking at certain times and then they're taught. So what do you think about that? 
And I'm sure I there's don't a- love it. You don't love it. Okay. I don't love it. I like if you were to go that route, I like what your dog does where it's the one. Yeah. And you could say some people say enough or thank you because some people want to know that yeah. outside or whatever. I want to watch um, Barker. But I don't love it. It's like yeah. teaching your dog to sit and then you're going to say no sit. Like, does, how would that right, actually? Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's it good sounds like a great theory, but I haven't seen it. Yeah. So I'm glad Kirsten doesn't like it either. Okay. <laughs> okay. I know, and I've always been curious. I've, I've never. It said a lot. Like, it's recommended a whole bunch, but when it comes into practice, when I want my dog to stand, I don't tell him no sit. Got it. I tell him what okay. I want him to do. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Got it. Okay. Good. Thank you. Again, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. We learned a ton and then everyone else can watch this later and also learn from it as well. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed that and want access to future guest experts, monthly doggone calm concerts, a community of great dog lovers aligned with helping their dogs with natural remedies, with holistic solutions, with force-free training. The Dog on Calm Club is the place to be. And we are opening to new members. So join the waitlist so you know when we open next week, myzenpet.com forward slash waitlist. Because when you join, you get access to all of the guest experts we've had in the past and in the future, you get to ask your questions directly. It's a huge money saver for you if you're dealing with any behavior issues, anxiety issues with your dogs. And I just love this club. It's just really fun because I always learn so much too. If you are enjoying this podcast, please share with a dog-loving friend and follow the podcast so you know when episodes are dropped every Wednesday morning. Thank you so much for listening. I know there's a million things you could be doing with your time, and I so appreciate that you spend it here. This is Lisa and Gina, and we are sending.